I'm Jakob Voigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled Boost, a series specifically designed to boost business in South Africa. Today we're talking about electric vehicles and how to charge them. We're talking about what the future of electric cars looks like and charging uh, throughout this beautiful country of ours. Um, I'm joined by Winston Jordan, the Managing Director for Grid Cars. Winston, welcome. Thank you very much. So uh, we always start the show by just uh, give us a little bit of background. How did you get to where you are today? Sure. Um, I suppose I, I was always interested in sort of, let's call them new and leading technologies. So, so I spent a big part of my school career trying to design fly, flying cars. And the first part of my actual um, career, I sort of headed in that direction, went over and did some work in the States on that. That's but still coming, events. by the way, right? Yeah, they'll come. They'll come. <laughs> but I think I realized that I need to pick something a little bit more down to earth that, that I can deliver on in my timelines, you know, in terms of life. Um, and electric cars seemed like the, the sort of key area. So probably around 2002, started working in that space. Um, initially really to design and build electric cars. But, you know, I realized that you need really deep pockets to build electric cars and get them through those processes. So I started to really focus then on the support systems and from about 2012, then became relative, highly focused on where charging infrastructure is going to be work and working to support the, the people that are designing cars. So the bigger OEMs, ensuring that that infrastructure is done, that we can provide a, I think the right platform for South Africa to enter the space and, and be the enabler. So, so you talk about leading edge. Uh, from 2002, talking electric cars, I think it's bleeding edge. And uh, I always, when I when I think of you, I always think of your sort of pioneering uh, view of it. So, so let's uh, get straight into it. So, grid cars. So, what what does grid cars do? So uh, today, grid cars really four areas that we would focus on. The first thing is we we are a hardware reseller, so we would sell hardware. It's not we, we don't have twenty products in our portfolio. We have a single product normally, and that single product is really the product that we trust and install ourselves. And it just helps us to create volume on our on our product. We carry in spares, we carry in support, we've got the technical skills, so it makes sense to then support that in the network. So that's really helpful for other network developers that we can we we've got strong mechanisms for then supporting those network developers. The second part of the business is what we would call the CPO or charge point operations. So we manage charging infrastructure on behalf of the customer. So when Catalytic decides to put down 20 charges across Pretoria and brand them as Catalytic, we'd be the, the partner that would then come in and manage that network for you. So in other words, collect the funding, make sure that they're properly serviced, that they're always running, those sort of things. So it's, it's a, an operational thing. The third area is where we work with the, typically with the OEMs, but it's OEMs, banks, various. OEM will be like a, like a car manufacturer. Like Mercedes Benz, BMW, Audi, et cetera, yeah. Okay. And the idea is that, um, in that case, we're then working with their customer. So doing the billing side of, of managing charging infrastructure. So being able to, um, handle the customer at the site, do the clearing of the payments through the banks, push that payment out to all of the different places. So, you know, it, it's a it's a much more complex process than what we have you believe. So your belief is yes. when you get to a charger, you tap your card and, and it, it charges. 
you know, but in actual fact, there's a whole underlying back-end system there that's, that's paying all the, the electricity, the sites, the, the various role players in that. And then as a fourth element, and, and it's really is that we would also then invest strategically ourselves in the network. Now, now we've done that quite aggressively to start with, but that was more to, I'm going to say, light the fire and get the, get the industry moving. Um, you know, we don't, that would not be our long-term core business, um, you know, because that, that would go more to, I think the, the hardcore infrastructure companies, you know, the, be it, um, property companies, maybe the fuel companies, the fuel codes, you know, people who own the properties that would then start to put networks across that and would then step in more on the management side of that rather than the ownership side of it. And, um, you've been at this for many years now. Um, how was it, how difficult was it to get the, the ball rolling? Because I, like I was referring earlier, all of these ob little places throughout South Africa. You, uh, I was in 2020 in Grafrenet, and there is a grid cause. And then last year I was in Clarence, and there is a grid cause. And then this past December uh, I was driving through Beaufort West. I just say drive through because just now people thought that's where I went. <laughs> and there is a grid cause. Uh, well, well, Jaguar powered by grid cars or whatever. Yeah. So, but I, but I, from the sounds of it, it was, it was hard to get buying from, from the relevant role players yeah. from the word go. I think the, you know, the, when we started with that, we, we had to make a fundamental decision that says, you, you've got to go one of two ways. You're either going to look and say, all right, so how do, where do we find the most profitable locations and put charges down? Now, if we were to do that, then we should have put everything in Santon. Simple as that. That's where, you know, the majority of the charging happens. But that would not mean that you can then drive your car to Clarence or drive your car to Cape Town or all of those things. So, and that tends to be the first barrier to people is the perception that you can't go somewhere, you can't do this, that I'm being restricted. So I, we took a coverage approach. We said, let's first ensure that we've got coverage on all the major routes. And that's why you see Beaufort West, you see Lanesburg, you see um, you know, the, the, the sort of route, um, thing. So on the major highways, so N1, N2, N3, and 4, it was, I intend to install charges at least every 200 kilometers. We've far exceeded that. I mean, the N3 is now down to less than 100 kilometers per charger. The N2 is down to 50 k kilometers per charger. The N1, there's still one or two gaps that are 200 kilometers, but generally now we're looking to fill those gaps as well. And structure that. So that, that meant that you can drive your car everywhere. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think in the beginning, it was a lot easier than trying to get flying cars started. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, t- stepping back, no, no problem. It was a breeze, <laughs> but actually it, it really was, um, I think a- about creating that platform and, and driving the, the view of where this is going to go. We, we know it's the future. The, the question is just how quickly do we, or what path do we take to get to that future? So, so on that note, what is that, what is the average sort of range that a electric vehicle's got? So if you take the really oldest cars in the market, um, you know, so the, the first BMW R3s and the old Nissan Leafs, they would have a range of around 100 kilometers. Okay. Okay. So, so then 200 kilometer gap on the highway is a problem. Yes. Um, well, not really, because if you think about it, every three prong plug in the wall is a charging port. You okay. Can just plug into there and plug into your car and you can charge. It's slow, but so therefore you would have a couple of slower charges if you're trying to drive to Cape Town with one of the older cars. Okay. Um, but, but certainly driving along garden, a garden route, no problem at all. They're within 50 k kilometers of each other. So you can handle that side. The bigger cars today are getting upwards of 600, 700, 800 kilometers. Oh, really? On a, on a single charge. 
Um, obviously, that's your higher-end vehicles as well. Yes. You know, um, I'm going to call it the equivalent of a, a 7 Series if it was a BMW, you know, or Mercedes, the what they call EQS. So those sort of range vehicles are certainly starting to… Is, is that, I assume that's because the chassis is bigger. They can just have more storage or is it the, better tech? Or? Yeah, the chassis is bigger and also you can just you can carry more cost because, yes. you know, the, the, the limitation of the battery… Is probably going to just push the price of the car. So I could, okay. get a, I can get a small car and give it a really big battery, but and, but then the price of the car will be right out of whack okay. with what's reasonable for a car like that. So, so anyway, now because the batteries are more expensive, there's a bit of a premium on those vehicles. But you know, when I switched over to electric, my petrol bill was sitting around about nine thousand rand a month because I drive to Job, I live in Pretoria, work in Johannesburg. And the switching to electric that dropped to under a thousand rand electricity, so it wow. gives you a, a really serious saving. Often people can't see that properly because they see petrol as a daily expense, not as a not as a it's not a big amount that goes off your bank account in the beginning of the month. Like yes, yeah, for the bank. But the minute you can understand that petrol actually is like that, then you start to see that as long as you're driving reasonably good distances, electric is by far the most obvious choice. If you're only driving short distances every day, then yeah, it's, it's still not going to, you're going to be paying a premium to drive electric. But every year that premium level is dropping. So it's becoming more and, you know, if we said anybody driving over 150 kilometers a day, electric is the option. And, you know, a year ago that would have then been 120. And this year we might say it's 100. You know, so it's very quickly dropping down and very soon we'll be at that average of 30 kilometers, in which case it'll just be a no-brainer to buy an electric vehicle at every level. And do, do people still battle to get their heads around believing in that technology? Uh, we still do. I've, I encountered someone the other day that I stopped and I said it's an electric car and he said, um, but, you know, how do you mean electric? I said electric. It takes no petrol, just electric motor. You know, and you know, I think what people must understand is that electric motors even save the petrol motors because if you think about it, your petrol motor can't even start if it wasn't for an electric starter motor. Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't be able to start it without that. So electric motors are something that are, have really been around for a long time. And now if I'm driving now to, let's say, to Durban on the N3 and, and I have to uh, recharge, how long does that typically take? So, so again, it'll depend on the car. If your car can do six, seven hundred kilometers, you're going to get all the way to Durban without charging at all. Yeah. If your car is, you know, I've got one of the sort of still earlier cars, but it gets about 200, 250 kilometers in range. So I would stop. I could comfortably stop twice for 40 minutes. And then yeah. I'd, I'd be in, I'd be down. So, so that's like while you're stops. charging, you go and have a breakfast or a, a coffee and you're done. Yeah. What, as there are more and more charges on the N, on the N3, what I always say to people is don't miss an opportunity to charge. Rather stop five times for 15 minutes. Because then if you get to a charger and there's a problem, a hardware problem with the charger or somebody else is charging there before you and you you have to wait for him or there's load chilling. I mean, we don't really have load chilling, I know, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the idea is that if you, then you can easily choose to just skip it and go on to the next one because you're, you're relatively full. So rather do a, you know, a quick coffee stop for 15 minutes, do a lunch stop for half an hour in Harry Smith, do another coffee stop at Tugela. You know, and then you're in, you know, you, so, so more is often better, uh, more and for shorter times. And then, and then, um, I assume 
as uh, the sort of adoption takes place, uh, more and more charges will be will be installed. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so there's a level, as I said earlier, we we took a coverage objective, so we try to make sure that charges are everywhere. But certainly, you know, we've we are now starting to see where the busy locations are, and looking to say we need to get an extra charge in there. We need to look at that. So we're going to start to build resilience in that network, so that there's more options at every point of charging. And then, and then. Um how does the how does it, how does the costing work? So I stop now and I charge, uh, like you say, five times instead of two. Um, uh, how, do, how does the price of a electric charge compare against a tank of petrol? If you want to yeah. call it that. So, so in petrol you buy in liters, with us you buy in kilowatt hours. They don't really measure up directly. <laughs> so the easiest way to look at it is how do you how do you compare per kilometer costs? Yes. So for us, um, it, and I'll just run through the whole list. A petrol vehicle today is probably about two rand fifty per kilometer. So obviously it can vary. You might find a two rand one for a cheaper car or a lower end car, and three fifty four rand on a on a bigger vehicle. Just but the fuel component. Ju- that's just the fuel yeah. element. Okay. Forget about maintenance yes. and all of those things. Okay. So so we're talking about two rand fifty. Okay. Electric vehicles around a rand to a rand fifty for the bigger cars. Wow. For the bigger vehicles we have about one rand fifty, and the smaller cars about a rand. Um, if you charge at home, that's public charging. Which obviously these margins built in that to pay for that public infrastructure yes, 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 yes. And, and drive that. Whereas if you charge at home, you're probably down to about 60 cents. Wow. And if you have solar at home, then you're down to maybe 30 cents per kilometer. Okay. So that, so, that was almost on my next question because you spoke about uh, this load shedding and we know it's, it's weighing heavily on everybody. Do, do you think that that puts people off in terms of? And buying into, into going down that yeah. road? Unfortunately, I think it puts people off, um, into getting into electric vehicles. But what we, what we always say is that lotion affects people who are thinking about buying electric cars, not people who own electric cars. <laughs> okay. It's a perception management. So, so the idea is quite simple. And let me give you an example. Um, the average person in South Africa drives maybe 30 kilometers. Okay. If, let's work on 45. So if you drive 45 kilometers in a day, I need on just on the wall socket at home. I would need maybe two hours on the wall socket. Oh, so if I, I mean, you've always got at least two hours even yes. in the worst cases. Yeah. But if you put a proper charger in that's connecting into your distribution board, you'd need maybe an hour. You know, and within an hour you've got enough to to get that footage. And then you can link that into the solar on your house. And link it to your solar. You can do all of those things. So, so in all honesty, it it really does not impact EV drivers once you understand the dynamic. The the other part that I think people struggle to get their heads around is when you when you think about load shedding, you think about your home mostly because most offices have got some form of backup. So it's the biggest impact of load shedding is typically at home. And when your power is out in your area, you, you're pretty stuck. You know, houses are fixed to the ground. You know, yes. they, don't, they don't move around. Okay. Cars move around. So if I arrive at a charging station and there's no, and there's no power there, I just drive to the next one. Exactly. It's not like it's the end of my world. 100%. So, so there's, and, and the, so that's assuming that I wasn't being a little bit vigilant because I know my, that I'm dependent on power. So I check the load shedding app. If I'm heading to Menland Main to charge, I just check the load shedding thing and see, is there load shedding? Oh, there's load shedding in Menland Main. I'll just go to Irene Mall. You know, so instead of, because I know where all the charges are and I, and I can then see on that schedule where I need to be if I, if I needed to charge a particular place. So or, or in my, in my world, 
go to the office. I like, uh, I don't like the working from home story. So go to the office and then you can get power for free there. There we go. Your and employer pays for it. I think it's it. incentives. You know, if you, if you want to incentivize staff, it's one way to do it is to say you can get your power for free at home. And if you only drive in 45 Ks a day, then even the smallest cars could do, could do more than double that. Yes. So you could actually charge only at work because you don't, then you can drive home and come back to work. 100%. And, yes. Uh, charge the next time. So yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's actually such a fascinating concept for me because every time when the power, uh, I mean, the, the price of, of a liter of petrol goes up, everybody's down in the doldrums and the world's coming to an end. But, uh, if we actually, if you're actually willing to look outside your frame of reference and do proper homework. Yeah. So, um, so we were having this chat now. So are, are you a tree hugger? No, well, you're an environmentalist, I mean, I mean, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an environmentalist, but I'm not going to I'm not going to kill myself to you know to do that. I'm, I'm aware of what what I believe we're doing as damaging the earth, and I believe we should be doing things differently. I, I would like to believe that we're leaving a we're leaving a planet that I can be proud of to my children. You know, I don't want my children, grandchildren, in 20 years or 30 years time, you know, looking back and saying, you know, what you were the last generation that could have actually done something and you didn't. That that'd be pretty bad. So, so in that sense, I'm, I'm aware of these things. But, um, you know, I think as per our conversation, you know, I drive an electric car because they are cheaper to run. They are nicer to drive. They're more responsive than petrol cars. You put your foot in the accelerator, they go. They don't, um, there's no lags, no delays, nothing like that. They are, that, that, they are quick when they need to be quick. When I, when, so, when you took me for a spin, what, three, four years ago, it was the weirdest, like most exhilarating uh, experience, it was yeah. It's just it's a it's a very very different concept because it's so silent and, and quick. And yeah. Like so, so yeah. I don't drive electric vehicles because they save the planet. That's a bonus. Um, I drive them because they really are the future of where transport is. This is the future of transport. So yes, I'm an early shift. I've shift early into electric. Both my wife and I have electric cars. So we don't. You know, in theory, I don't even know what the price of petrol is. So I say in theory, I do because I'm, I often have to talk about it. Yes. So I try to stay up to, up to date with that. But, um, I saw one of my slides the other day that said that petrol was 16 rand a liter. And I thought, I'm sure that's wrong. <laughs> it must be like over 20 now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what is, what is the future of, of the motoring world? So, so I have no doubt that the future is electric. Um, I think where there's some debate around batteries and hydrogen and various things like this, again, I think batteries are going to win out the, the majority of those discussions. Um, I think there's a place for hydrogen. Um, you know, I think there's a place for other forms of creating electricity um, or other ways of doing that. Um, but the future is electric. The question just is what route do we take to get there? Is it going to take us – is it going to be a five-year shift? Or is it going to be a, a 50 year shift? You know, if you look at what Europe is saying at this stage, I think they're pretty much on, we, we would have shifted on new vehicles, not the fleet. So yeah. new vehicles, we would have shifted by the early 2030s. So some debate 2030, yeah. other debates 20, 2035, but that early portion of the 2030s, you would not be able to buy a fossil fuel vehicle. Any longer. Uh, any longer. And certainly Europe and I think America is on those, on those lines. The perception is that we can't, we might not be in South Africa. We were five years behind the rest of the world. But the, the challenge is how all the vehicles that we buy come from Europe. So if they've stopped making petrol cars, then all of the vehicles coming from Europe are going to be electric. Um, or the majority of vehicles. Yes, yeah. And, um, 
and then people would say, yeah, but we manufacture electric vehicles ourselves then, or petrol vehicles. Um, well, actually, 90% of the vehicles we manufacture are sold into Europe. So if we're not manufacturing electric, our, our manufacturing sector would collapse. So there's, I think that end game is very hard to fall behind. We can delay how we reach the end game, but we can't delay where the end game is, where that point is. So, yeah. so, so, I th- so, I, so I think that, that, that global direction will force us, uh, it, it will happen to us, yes. not, not because of us necessarily. Exactly, yeah. sure. And, and, um, well, I, I, I guess if we, uh, you know, if you extrapolate it, uh, the question is at some point in time, what, what will, uh, one way is for the manufacturers and the other way is, uh, um, what, what must the price of petrol be per liter in order to, for you to stand up and wake up? Is it 30 rand a liter, 40 rand a liter? Some point in time, some people, uh, no, you know. I, I would look, I mean, the break even point nowadays is probably for most EV drivers would probably be around 12 rand a liter. And we so never see that, that ever again. Yeah. We're never going to see that again. They can, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. We never seeing that again. Look, you know, these other, these other cool things. Um, you know, I always say I get into my electric car every morning, every morning my car is full. Yes. You understand? I never have to go somewhere to fill it up. It, I get in my car, it's full in the morning because I plug it in and sometime during the night that it'll fully charge it and it'll be full. So, you know, the, if I didn't plug it in, then maybe it, it won't be. But generally that's the, the thing. It's the same as your cell phone. Yeah. You, know, you come home, you plug it in or you get a chance to plug it in and Correct. by the morning it's full. You don't have to go to a place to charge your cell phone. You know, somebody said the other day, well, imagine how it would have been if we were originally all driving electric vehicles and we have to switch over to petrol. Yeah. Because then, you know, the guys are going to be saying, you mean I've actually got to make an effort to put petrol in? I can't just do it at the house. You know, why would you buy a car like that? You know? It's actually fascinating. <laughs> um, Winston, so, so on a day-to-day business uh, perspective, uh, I actually wanted to come back just uh, because uh, a, a big portion of what we do in Boost is, is this crazy entrepreneurial journey that uh, most uh, business owners and startup guys go through. Um, so if you uh, m- maybe you would have thought differently now, but if you look back now, why did you start this business? Because I, I can only assume it wasn't easy. No, look, I, I think at the end of the day, I've always been somebody who looks forward in, in terms of, you know, where, is, where are things going? Um, you know, nothing is easy. Anybody who tells you it's easy in any business, they've misunderstood the, the principle. You know, uh, you, you've got to, you've got to work to get a business going. Um, my, my view was because of the way that I think and I like to create new things and try and drive new messages. Clearly I was trying to sell flying cars at one stage. Um, um, I did for a period actually sell hovercraft. So that goes pretty good. Okay. Well, I think it's not, I think the future, who knows? But, but the idea is that, um, you know, I, I looked and said, well, either I'm going to be building what everybody else is building. So let's say I want to build a point of sale system. Well, there's 10 point of sale systems in the market. The market is quite clear what I have to do. I don't have to invent anything new. I can design what's there and I can enter a competitive space in the market. I can pitch my price right and I can start to, to eat up some market share from the other point of sales. Yes. So that's one path going forward. Or the other one is to look and say, I think I'm relatively comfortable in understanding what the future is going to look like. Maybe the timelines I'm not that good at, but I understand we're going to go electric. So maybe what I do is I pitch for a business that, that is intended to be successful in five years' time. And rather work towards that because now I've got no competition in that space. 
So I'm going to work a lot harder. I'm going to work in a much more difficult environment. So we, we try to balance what are we doing that's very much future-looking versus what are we doing that is today. So, you know, part of why we sell hardware is because that's a today thing. Yes. You know, um, whereas strategically we understand where that future lies and we've invested into that. So, you know, we started building the back-end systems and billing systems here in South Africa in, 20, in 2012. So just to put that in perspective, that was, that was three years ahead of the first EVs arriving from Nissan. So, wow. so the, it's a bit, that was well before any EV was commercially available. But again, we could see the writing on the wall. We could see this is the way it's got to go. That we've got to get those infrastructures in place. If we didn't do that and we waited for the first vehicles to come, there would have probably not been a big deal. The first cars would all charge for free and nobody would have really bothered. But yeah, around about, let's say, 216, 217, people would have started realizing, wait a minute, we need a billing system. We need a management system for charging. And the only way to achieve it at that time, because now you only have, you've got to get it done, is probably to import technology or buy technology into the country. Whereas we, at about 2017, we'd had seven years of development time already, okay. where we were actually building the right solution and putting it in place. So in theory, we could strongly localize that. So, And that to me is what was important, is own that technology locally. Yes, we can start exporting where we are now, looking how do we take that into Africa and into various other platforms. But certainly it's locally developed local core RP that's here. Um, and then if you look at your your business on a on a day to day basis, what's the biggest hurdles that you face? We spoke about some of the the big international conglomerates. Uh, you and I both know that uh, if you're a startup type person, big business typically um, um, don't want to support you in the early days, or they or they slow, or, or they think they'll just uh, copy what you're doing and doing it yourself. So what are the typical hurdles that you face on a daily basis? I think the, the if I just go back, you know, 10 years, look, I was probably my biggest hurdle, you know, just simply because being very entrepreneurial, um, I, I was chasing multiple business streams. And every time I spoke to people, and you know, I had a meeting with Pavla Fatidis at one stage, and he said, well, you've got to focus. And I said to him, okay, on what? And he'd sort of say, okay, focus on this area. And then I'd, I'd debated with him. And then we'd look and say, okay, but maybe then that area. And we, but, and the problem is that I couldn't decide. And somebody who's not in my business, it was hard for you to decide. Yeah. But looking back, I think chasing multiple um, business targets is probably not, a, it's not a bad thing, but pick one that you can make, make successful first. So, you know, where I was trying to build cars, we were trying to build battery systems, we were trying to do solar, we were trying to build tracking systems, we were trying to build um, charging systems, you know, so we had every aspect of the business. And because of that, we diluted our effort in all those areas. I could only put yeah. one-fifth of my resources into each one of those five. Whereas once 2017 came and we were joined up with a company called Solar F, they took shares in the company. And I sat down with the, with the CEO from there and, um, and we discussed this and it really came out to say, okay, let's pick one focus area and focus. And that focus area was charging. And yesterday we're only a charging company. We only focus on charging. We're not building vehicles, but I can certainly see how if I'd have done that 10 years earlier and focused on solving one problem, let's say charging. And then when that's succeeding in the market, then move on to the other ones that I don't want to drive. I think that was probably my biggest, let's just say failure in the beginning. 
once we started working with the bigger OEMs, then the next level came, and that is compliance. Because these big OEMs, they need they need to know that you're going to be around in five years' time. If they're investing into working with you, and, that, and that's a big reason why I think they would rather take control of the process themselves. Okay. So we've got control. We can do this. So a lot of what you have to do is show that you have the um, – the endurance, you know, in Afrikaans, the dersettingsvermoe. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's one of the few words I think really makes sense in Afrikaans. <laughs> that, but it's that endurance to be able to push through. They want to know that, that you're going to have that. So the first big OEM deal that we got was with Jaguar. And, and a lot of that, um, we'd worked at BMW before that, but it was very much on, let's just say, operationally managing things. Whereas with, with Jager, there was, they put a lot of trust in us to, to help with certain areas, to help to grow their network and to build that. And we could see we really had to step up. We had to step up in our processes. We had to step up in how our finance departments are managed. We had to step up in how every part of the business was being driven. And that happened in 2017. And we were still, let's say, start of 2017 SMME. And we weren't getting it right. You know, yes, Pajago was interested. We were discussing things, etc. But the minute we became part of the Alviva group under SolarF, um, suddenly all of those things became a requirement because we're part of a listed entity. And suddenly we could see the change in how Jaguar saw us. We were still the same company, same people yes. involved, had the same level of business. But, you know, if they said, you know, have you got a process for this? We had a process for it. Um, if they said, where's your financials? You know, the next day they would get them. You know, as an SME, you ask me for my financial. No. You know, it took me about a month to try and put them together and it's in Excel, you know. <laughs> and I That's think so that, that built that confidence that we can work with these, with these things. And today we work with all of the, all of the big OEMs that are bringing, um, EVs in and we focus on really making sure that, that the business is has the right level of due diligence to it, you know, that you're building that, that right technology for them. And then I think the big companies will get involved. So you don't need to be a big company. You've just got to start to You've got to give them bring comfort. management's comfort yeah. level there. Yeah. Because they're, they're risking their brand on you. Okay. And, and yeah. that's, I'm that's with you. a big problem. You know, so, so if, you, if you can't show that you can be trusted, I think that's where that comes. And, and that, took a bit, that took a bit of time. So it took us a, you know, a good two or three years to build that credibility. And I think uh, well, some of the stuff that you said now, for me, uh, when, you, when you're in that startup mode and you, you sort of, I, don't wanna, I, I almost want to say you're grinding, grinding out every, every bit of revenue that you can, that, that lack of focus uh, can also create distrust and, and make it difficult for somebody to take a chance on you. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, well, the point is, you know, grid cars 2014, you know, if you took a chance on us on charging and suddenly we, we came through and one of our vehicles that we designed, you know, started selling, we might have just dropped charging. Yes. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. today that's not going to happen. You know, we're, 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 our core business is around charging infrastructure and that's our focus. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing we are doing that could outshine other portions of the business that would cause us to drop the, that, that part of the business. Um, second last question. In terms of, in terms of how long you've uh, been in this game and, and uh, the effort that you put in and the focus and stuff like that, um, it almost sounds to me like this, this might be one of those few but good South African exportable stories. Um, what does is, what is the, the charging look, in, uh, look like in the rest of the world? Look, certainly in the rest of the world, I think we, we're, 
just a blip. You know, we, we really don't count. I mean, you know, looking across Europe, there's probably nowadays millions of charges. Okay, let's say 500,000, but there's lots. Whereas in South Africa, it's 300. You know, so we, we weigh off on those numbers. Africa, though, is, is way down. Where we're saying 300 here, there's probably maybe 50 in the rest of Africa. So I think that's sort of opportunity. That's the growth market. This growth market. You, you're not going to try and um, take this uh, to Europe or the States? I say we won't try to get into Europe, into Europe but um, I think we'd have to grow a lot more before we can go into those markets because they, you know, where we might be talking tens of millions of investment locally, you know, they're talking about billions of dollars, you know, that they're investing in network growth. So yeah. you pick up any story for Electrify America, you know, their next phase is a $2 billion, you know, rollout. Uh, I mean, that would be enough for us to, to have charges in this country for the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's on a very different scale. And, and I think, you know, we're good at what we do in South Africa. We understand the South African market. We understand the anomalies locally. Load shedding, you know, you yeah. buy software out of Europe, it's not going to have load shedding capabilities in it. Our software has load shedding capabilities that tells you where the things are, it helps you plan your route to understand where load shedding is. You know, all of those things are part of that. Uh, we just did a big exercise now because we've got about 20 vehicles going down to the Formula E race. And based on that, the, we've got to schedule those because the charges, like you said, there's only one charger in both at West. You know, the one before that is 150 Ks and the one after that is 200 Ks. So we've got to time people correctly to get to Beaufort West. And we don't want to get five people arrive there at the same time. So we've scheduled the cars that are going to go down for Formula E. And basically starting, starting next week, you know, there'll, there, there'll be a huge number of cars driving down over about four days. So 20 vehicles, which is probably what we do in a month normally. But yes. we'll do that in two or three days. Wow. Where you'll see lots of electric cars going down to Cape Town to go and attend Formula E. But um, obviously using electric vehicles and driving on the electric highway, which is right there and on, in place. Um, so the last, we, al- we always end the show by uh, making it real. You, you started uh, the show using the, the example of if Catalytic wanted to put up 20 charges throughout wherever. Um, how, do you, how do people, uh, how, how can they utilize your services? And so, where do they do that? Yeah. So maybe just as a point, and that is make sure you've got strong service providers that can give you good services because that, you know, that's critical in network uptime. Network uptime is, is, criti- is the most important resource we have. You know, if the network is down, you can't charge. So if people are interested in, and certainly we're looking to work with companies, um, to grow their own networks. So if they're interested, contact us. And get a hold of me and um, you just Google your phone my name very quickly and email is Winston at gridcars.net and basically we would then sit down and discuss with you how what your vision is, where your strategy is is your objective to just in your case it might be we just want to get some branding out there or maybe not, maybe your objective is to say well if we can put down you know, 100 charging um, stations and we can put a, um, a, a small Wi-Fi hotspot into every one of those we could then open up a, a Wi-Fi network based on charging stations you know, because we've got the power we've got the network connection and you might see that as a strategic part of your business it just so happens that part of that is based on that and I think it's really about coming up with that model so what, one of the first things we always do is sit down and understand what are you trying to get out of it? Where, what's important for you? And then what role do we play in that? How do we then support that process? You know, we've had one or two of the deals that you would see on the highway, for example, where 
somebody came and said, well, I really just want the brand exposure. And we would then look and say, okay, so we'll invest in the infrastructure. So we go looking for the investors. We put down that infrastructure. Yes, we take the profits from the from the usage of that network because you've achieved your objective, which yes. is brand exposure. Yeah. Whereas if your objective was to say we're really just trying, we want to make money out of this in the future. We want to be a a future fuel station. Then um, you might not care about the branding. So that might be something. Then we can help with to say, okay, we can help you with branding, but you're going to have to own the infrastructure. And when then all of the profits from that is generated is, is going to come from is for your pocket. Obviously, ideal sites become important in that case. You know, looking at where you're going to go and how you how you drive that. So yeah, fascinating. Winston, thank you very much for your time. I like I, I feel these. We can go for another hour, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this is really uh, from a from a business perspective. If you if you look at how, how long you've been going at this, and and uh, you know, again, um, I think as a as a startup or SME, sometimes people can get despondent. Uh, maybe when they're just about to eat the big time, uh, that entrepreneurial journey, you've got to have belief, like you. And yeah, and you have to have the staying power to say, "I want to see this thing through." No, I completely agree. You know, believe believe in what you what your objective is, where you're trying to go. Yes, along the way, the path will change. There'll be hills, there'll be valleys, but at the end of the day, you've got to believe in that final mission. And if you don't, then don't become an entrepreneur. Go and look for a salary. Um, you know, it sounds a bit harsh, but but I think you've really got to to understand that 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 drive and and everything, every decision you make has got to be taking you towards achieving that. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Unbundled Boost, a series specifically aimed to uh, boost business in South Africa. Remember that you can listen to the podcast on the Cliff Central website or also on uh, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google. And uh, if you want to know more about Catalytic, please visit catalytic.co.za. Cliffcentral.com